1: Well, welcome back to the show. Got a lot of LSU to talk about this first half hour. Brooks Cabina comes in in 10 minutes to talk LSU football spring game. Derek Stingley Jr. making waves. Incoming freshman and looks like the next star at DBU. You had the quarterbacks at LSU for the most part looking pretty good. Joe Burrow and a new look, Miles Brennan. Offensive line play, a lot to be desired. Issues like you'd expect around the periphery there. We'll talk to Brooke about it in just a little bit. LSU baseball in action right now. We'll take a listen in in just a second. But I want to go back to this last weekend because forget about tonight. Tonight's game doesn't matter at all in the long run. But this last series over the weekend did matter, and that was because Texas A&M was on top of the SEC West standings until this series against LSU. LSU needed to win that series. They did two games to one, including that 9-3 runaway in the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday. Also, nice start from Zach Hess on Friday, the 2-1 win there. And now LSU against what was a top-10-ranked Texas A&M team is back in a tie. It was a three-way tie atop the SEC West standings. I was talking to Christian about this yesterday. If they get to 20 wins in the SEC, Christian believes, and a lot of people believe, and I'm just going by what they say, um, that they're going to be a top-eight national seed. That's kind of the threshold. I I still think they'd have to do something in the SEC tournament, but I get the point there. 20 wins, the threshold that you want to get to to position yourself for that top-eight national seed, which would give you that super regional at home. Southern today, no second midweek game this week. Then they get Mizzou. Over the weekend, a really winnable series, and even a sweepable series, even for this LSU team, and then a struggling Florida team after that at home. And then Alabama, so you get three series here, that's the soft part of this SEC schedule coming up in April before, boy, you close it out with three series against Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Auburn, all teams in the top 20 but that three-game series win for LSU over the weekend the most important part of this last week of LSU baseball and uh, Tim as the as the LSU homer you are and you're you're speaking you have the megaphone for every LSU fan out there so every LSU fan uh Tim is speaking for you right now Tim how important was that series win against Texas A&M and will any of that be undone by their loss tonight at least it uh, looks like it's going to be a loss tonight
2: I think it was a huge win because considering the two series before that were on the road and you got, I think you got one of those two series. Um, I think this this is, I mean, they went almost a whole month without playing at home in the SEC series. So getting that win against AM was big. I know they go to Missouri this weekend and that's another big series, but it seems like you're going to have to win those home series if you want to be on top of the SEC no matter what. So winning against A&M against a top 15 team, that was pretty big. I'm not going to put too much into the Southern game because, look, what it comes down to, it it might hurt your RPI a little bit, but you want to win the big games, not the games where you got your seventh-string pitcher in. So, I mean, if Zach has his pitches tonight, I'd be worried, but he's not. So. <laughs> right,
1: so it's seven-one now in the top I of the mean, eight.
2: It's disappointing.
1: But yeah, we'll, we'll take a listen to this here in just a second. Now it is. Not at the box. It's a rare road in-state game. Palminary does this. The LSU programs do this. They do a few games at home. it usually two to one, two games at the box, and one game on the road. So this is actually on the road where LSU has struggled, frankly, quite often all season long and for the last couple of seasons. Let's go back to the LSU Sports Radio Network here. Chris Blair, Doug Thompson on the call. LSU trailing up to bat in the top of the eighth inning. So that's it for the top of the eighth inning in LSU, down to their final three outs there. A couple of texts. One from the 975 was talking about the state of cinema. Uh, this texter says, state of Game of Thrones, much greater than state of our cinema. I agree with you there. But the best uh, visual medium consumption, I'm trying to word that correctly, best film consumption happens in television right now. I don't really think there's any argument about that. Text from the 985, there's nothing wrong with LSU baseball. Yeah, I agree. There's nothing wrong with LSU baseball. Nobody's going to remember this game at all, especially if they win two to three games over the weekend. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Brooks Cabina talking LSU football spring game and then Jacob Wass in studio, Tulane Tuesdays. It's the last lap here on WWL. Welcome back to the show. We're talking LSU, LSU baseball getting hammered right now. at Southern. Say it doesn't matter. I might disagree, but it's midweek game. Sky is not falling chicken little. Sky was definitely not falling this weekend over at the LSU football spring game, even though we have said maybe the most boring sport in the world is football between the months of February and May. Still a lot to learn from this LSU spring game. There really was, even though an actual on-field product, you're not going to learn a lot from that, but we did learn a few things. Spring on in Brooks Cabina, the advocate, to talk about it with us. At B Cabina on Twitter, covers LSU football there for the advocate. Brooks, what's going on, man? And uh, look, I know you're not going to agree with me there about uh, spring football, but I will say uh, there was lots of storylines coming out of this spring football game and in practice, and um, the young stars kind of making their mark there.
3: Absolutely, Seth. Uh, You know, on on Saturday, I I thought it was – I thought it was one of the more newsworthy spring games I've seen, uh, just because there were a lot of new players that we wanted to check out, and the offense did really well. And for LSU, that was big news, especially the past couple of years of anticipation for offense, what it looked like during spring games. So, I don't know, that was my takeaway of it. I I mean, didn't you get a sense that over the past couple of years this was a more offensive, if if you were going to – Know, grade what what teams look like. It looked like there was a little more uh, optimism for that. Yes,
1: yeah, that. so that's where I was going to go next with this, Brooks, is yes, I have heard a lot of that, but I said on my Sunday show, so soon in the morning, is I'm very skeptical... Of any talk about LSU's offense this time of year, because for two decades we have heard, well, this is the year things are changing. It's going to be revolutionary. And we heard, you know, Matt Canada just a couple of years ago was supposed to be the truth and the answer. And here comes Joe Brady. He's supposed to be the truth and the answer. So I'm kind of waiting to see, waiting to see what happens in the fall. But you know, talk me out of my pessimism here, Brooks. Why is this year going to be different?
3: Well, I'm not here to talk anybody into pessimism or realism or however you want to look at it. All I can tell you is that, and you know, a couple of years ago I wasn't there to see what that candidate did, so it's hard for me to provide, you know, in in in, that kind of perspective. But what I do think from roster to roster is different from those periods of time. I mean, I think Joe Burrow is definitely a a level up from what they've had in the past five years at quarterback. And the one main thing I think that was an issue that you know was was a big problem last year is the sacks that they gave up during the spring game. Now, a couple of those were kind of, you know, some, some yeah, freebies a little bit, just a couple of taps on the shoulder. They gave up seven throughout the game. You may remember a stretch where they gave up two consecutive ones. Um, Sadiq, Sadiq Charles got beat on the left tackle, and then Austin Dick was on the right tackle, back-to-back play. So I'm sure that, you know, uh, is, is going to be something we want to work on, too. But, you know, the big explosive plays were the things that Ogeron wanted so much last year and it just never happened because partly because of protection, partly because they just didn't have the right scheme in place to do it, and you saw plenty of that on Saturday, Um, most of it coming from Miles Brennan, actually, you know, this 44-yard pass to racing McMath, and then 41-yarder that was basically a blown assignment across the middle with a couple of uh, linebackers that uh, didn't have too much communication. That was uh, Lee Anderson, I uh, kind of turned the short pass into a 41-yarder, but, you know, just Joe Burrow looked good throwing a touchdown. Justin Jefferson. It just there, there were a lot more explosive plays than there were last year, um, and they ranked very low in plays above uh, twenty plus yards. And you know, we kind of went into the detail and on off the Advocate.com, you can find a story through there. But those those were the things that they promised, and they delivered on it in that spring game. Uh, you know, I remember last year they were talking about going four or five wide receiver sets, and we just never saw it. And we saw it right away um, on Saturday, and they used it on third down a lot. That five wide receiver package, and they split uh, Clyde edwards elair out um, in the slot many times. And they even threw it to him to get a first down on third down. So they're they're committed to the change that they talked about, and they backed it up by showing it and using it in the game. And uh, as long as they go with that, and you know that it, it seems like that's at least something. Uh, Tangible for people to hold off this
1: offense. It's Brooks Cabina who covers LSU football for The Advocate here on the last lap. Let's stay with Miles Brennan here. And and I hadn't heard the hype in the spring around Miles Brennan in the last few years. In fact, it's almost always been the opposite. You know, he's too skinny. He doesn't look like a college quarterback. He isn't developed yet. Everything that I've heard the last few weeks and then coming out of the spring game was well, he finally looks like. In SEC quarterback, he he's bulked up a little bit. He was tucking the ball all over the place. Is the Miles Brennan hype? And I guess you maybe already answered this, but a little bit real, Brooks.
3: I think so. Uh, he definitely looked um, a lot more poised, I think, than some of the. Uh, if you remember the Rice game that he came in, he sure. was a little frazzled. I mean, he was he didn't have a lot of experience. That he was the first time he actually played the entire year. But he was you know overthrowing some passes. The accuracy wasn't there. Uh, I think, you know, he just wasn't um, you know, as prepared for that game as he was for this moment. I think uh, if he really did, because if you hear what Ogeron says and other players say and you want to see it, because, you know, some talk you know, leads uh, to different results sometimes, but you know, they would said that he would look like he was elite at in, in the off-season program. He committed to gaining weight and going to the film room and all that, all that talk that we normally hear. About players going to the offices. but that game, he that that 44 yard pass that he landed on a deep ball to uh, racing McManus, you know that was starter work. Um, you know he was he was throwing passes uh, you know, those those difficult ones, the out the, outright, the out route towards the sideline across uh, across the field. I mean he he was hitting passes that are difficult. He looked poised and ready. And you know yes, some of it was on the second team offense versus the second team defense. Um, but, you know, he did get to play with the first team off and start the second half, and he yeah. held up there as well. I mean, it, he did look like he was very much improved than uh, anything before, and I think you know, there really is um, some idea that given another year, as uh, Burrow is last year, in his last year, next year, that Brandon will have another time to develop. He could, could step in and finally have some consistency at quarterback at LSU for the
1: You know, sometimes it's hard to quantify hype for incoming recruits to this program because there's so many five-star guys, so many in-state guys that everybody has followed for years here. One of those guys that it certainly seems like the hype is warranted is Derek Stingley who has done nothing but amaze every onlooker in his early time over at LSU's campus and in the spring game when he picked off Joe Brady and then he had players talking about him and coaches talking about him after after that game and on into Sunday, Brooks.
3: Yeah, Joe Burrow, I think, wanted to test him. Uh, you know, he, you go into a game and you're, you're practicing against guys every day and, you know, he had that um, – had that pass. He was looking for Terrace Marshall deep, and he knew Sting was on one-on-one. And I think, uh, I think he wanted to test him, give it that shot, go for it. Because Terrace is a guy that they think can make plays as well. So that was a big position battle, uh, I think, happening right there. What Who would win that? And Derek you know, Sting I think everybody's seen that quote if he hadn't. That, you know, it it's funny. Joe Burrow was asked about what he thought about that pick. He says, I told you he was good, right? I mean, he he really did play well, and they, uh, they targeted him frequently, and he, he didn't give up any uh, completions. And, uh, I mean, he looks like he will be the starter next year, and that's that's all the talk had been. And you know, for you mentioned quantifying hype. A lot of the time, hype comes from you know, players and, and sometimes media as well. You know, but I don't think Dave Aranda has been much of a hype machine ever in his career. So when you sit there and you talk to him at the fiesta and he says, he looked like the best corner out there, you kind of believe it. Um, so yeah, it, I, we weren't all too surprised to see him actually do it there. Uh, just, just by the way we've seen him uh, and heard about him from uh, people that don't normally hype players up. It, it, it certainly seems like him and Christian Fulton, if he comes back fully healthy, they'll, they'll have a, a, as good a defensive back unit as they normally do.
1: Coach Joe has never lacked in, in confidence. In fact, his overconfidence, I think, has been uh, something to watch since he took over as head coach here um, the last three seasons. But sometimes, Brooks, he's never looked completely comfortable. I think might be fair. Uh, I is he, is he seem more comfortable now in full year number three at the helm, especially you know here in the spring when uh, important things are happening.
3: My first day. Was the day Ogeron talked on August first to the Rotary Club at Tiger Stadium, and my my thought coming in was like he was going to be on the hot seat. You know, he was going to be nervous, or whatever. But I thought that day he was very comfortable. Throughout all last year, he seemed comfortable. Uh, I wrote a story for the Alabama game, um, you know, kind of around that, to where after beating Miami and Auburn and all of that, they were. He was finally starting to prove that he belonged there and that he could coach and that they could win. And I think he knew that before the season. He knew what kind of team he had. And I think throughout that season, you saw him be very comfortable
0: with that. I mean, there
3: were those frustrating times when they lost 29 zips to Alabama and things like that. But, you know, I, I got an impression that he was much more comfortable there than he had been before. But, you know, you can hear in the way he talks about this team, I think it it leaves from comfortable to confident completely because uh, he knows what they have and what they come back. And that finally, you know, the the Joe Burrow thing worked out and that saved a lot of things. (laughs) And on the offensive line, they're going to get better there. But, yeah, I think that's the main thing, that he's already comfortable. Now he can be confident.
1: We have spring football in the books in 2019 for LSU. Brooks, appreciate the chat, man. And we'll talk a lot more heading into the summer. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Seth. Anytime. Find his work at theadvocate.com and on Twitter at B. Cabina. Pelican season is over. 112 103. They lose to the Warriors. Alvin Gentry. Lots of statements in his post-game presser says they're going to, quote, make the damn playoffs next year. That was his message to the team, says they're going to be good next year. And also on Anthony Davis says, quote, I think AD is a solid kid. I think he got some bad advice, quote, Well end quote. And I kind of agree with him there. We'll talk more Pelicans and more hoops in our number three. We'll also cover and talk about that Virginia-Texas Tech national championship game from yesterday. But right now, from one spring football to another, it's Tulane Tuesdays with Jacob Loss. Jacob's in studio now, and Tulane spring game uh, coming up. Uh, Jacob, and it's interesting to see the, I guess the the varying reactions and, and the dichotomy of opinions on this Tulane football program right now. And and I don't really understand the varying opinions considering the state of this program just a couple of years ago, and considering they just made a bowl game that you still have people some and I think it's a dwindling minority but some people naysaying Willie Fritz in the program considering their their rise over the last few seasons.
4: Well they're not appreciative of the process. Mind you Tulane students, are there are a lot of kids from New York, a lot of kids from LA Yankees fans, Lakers fans They exp- the AutoNation Cure Bowl just frankly isn't enough for them they won't uh, accept that as a winning culture but Tulane did get their first bowl win in 16 years after a 6-6 six and six season but now Willie Fritz wants to compete for a conference championship. He just said that recently. While that might sound a little far-fetched to some Tulane fans, mind you that at the end of this season, they were in a three-way tie for first place along with Memphis and Houston. So they were inches away from playing UCS UCF in the title game. However, Tulane hasn't had back-to-back winning seasons since... 75 percent of the Tulane population was born it was ninety-seven, ninety-eight. so let's see if they can uh, remake some history
1: wow you are making me feel very old with that stat uh <laughs> right, right there uh Tim says Sean King there you go uh Timmy behind the glass uh is that a realistic goal now with UCF in the conference UCF That is the, I guess, group of six behemoths. At least they've become that. Is it a realistic goal to win the conference championship?
4: To win a conference championship, I think, is a stretch. Tulane, mind you, just had their first like bowl, season, bowl appearance in quite some time. But I do expect them to progress. I think one thing that's really exciting is the new offensive coordinator, Will Hall. He's an assistant coach from Memphis, and Memphis last season was fifth in FBS teams in scoring. So... But with that comes a new offense that they need to learn, and it'll be interesting to see how quarterback Justin McMillan fits into it.
1: We ask about Justin McMillan, so he was uh, he was as good as I think can be expected, considering that he he transferred right before the the season started last year, and now his second year in the program is going to be given the full reins. Here is there hype surrounding him? We talked about hype with Brooks Cabin. Is there some hype on campus around Justin McMillan?
4: I think there's certainly hype. I mean, what's there not to be excited about? The guy won five out of his six games after being named starter. I think what's going to be a little dangerous, though, is there's a lot of uncertainty with the offensive line, and that's really the only way he can be successful. So once they get that figured out... Then we'll see if McMillan can maintain some success. That's something we should definitely pay attention to in the spring game on Saturday.
1: Is there more passion for LSU football this year than there was your first couple of years on campus? Or are you seeing a difference? Two-lane football. Yeah.
4: Yes. Um. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think there's... There's no reason really not to. I mean, the team's winning. If you give a good product, it will put the students in the seats. There's, this season should be a lot more exciting because the team has a ton of returners, especially at running back. All five rushers who carried the ball last year are returning, including a 1,000-yard rusher, Darius Bradwell, who was in one of my classes. Great guy. And as the team keeps progressing, I think students will be a lot more receptive.
1: Well, here are some of the reactions from campus. Jacob Wass got reaction on campus today here's some of that that's some of the reaction on campus to Tulane football a uh, nice work Jacob and it's interesting the the pessimism still surrounding the program Rome wasn't built in a day and neither were the sixers trust the process here a little bit but it's hard to convince Tulane students and fans to trust the process it sounds like.
4: Yeah, it will certainly take some time, but I think they're really headed in the right direction, and as the team keeps winning, fans will be more optimistic. I think, though, if we're talking Tulane culture, the one thing that Tulane football games are missing is a good fight song. I think if you heard the freshman at the end mention that Tulane, by 2021, will have their own pool. In stadium. I know some other stadiums around the country have adopted that. Yeah, it's kind of a
1: trend. It's interesting.
4: Yeah, well, the baby cakes have it. Mm-hmm. So now one will be at Yulman. I I won't be there to enjoy it, unfortunately. Maybe I'll be that one alumni hanging out in the pool. <laughs>
1: where... No, that would just be a little weird. Is it a st- I was going to ask, is it, it going to be a student thing? Because they're, they're, there's some kind of like... a. Uh, Unofficial age cutoff where you're just the creepy guy in the pool uh, at a certain point.
4: Yeah, no, I think that would make everyone feel a little uncomfortable. So yes, it is, I believe, just a student thing. (laughs) But in terms of anthems, this is something I've been advocating for for a while now. There is a Kanye West song called Waves. If you're not familiar with it, the bridge goes, Kanye goes, that's just the wave. And then the chorus goes, waves don't die. And if that was played at Tulane, I'm sure that you would feel an earthquake, a small earthquake. Everyone loves that song. Everyone knows it should be the anthem.
1: So you are a proponent for Tulane finding their inner chopa style.
4: Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They need their own chopa style. The the team's getting better, and you want something to sing and dance to while they're scoring touchdowns. So an anthem is needed. A pool is just kind of the icing on the cake, but it won't be around next season. And if Tulane is going to be better, which it looks like, they need something to jump up and down to.
1: There you go. He's Jacob Wass. I'm Seth Dunlap. We'll take a break here. Tulane Tuesdays on the last lap. We'll come back. We'll chat briefly about Tulane baseball. It's the last lap here on WWL. Welcome back to the program, Two Lane Tuesdays. Continuing with Jacob Wass sitting across from me, uh, Tim Zimmer's behind the glass. LSU does fall to Southern seven to two. Great tweet, Tim. What was the t- what was the tweet you just had?
2: Well, the game tonight on TV was on ESPN Plus, and I said, "Well, if nobody's watching, does it really count?" Because I don't know anybody who actually has ESPN Plus.
1: <laughs> so it's kind of like the tree falls in the forest thing. Like if nobody watches this game, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I suppose so. Let's talk a little Tulane baseball as they win another series. Uh, Jacob, they go uh, two and one against Wichita State in the three-game series, winning the final two games, and they've uh, positioned themselves here now in the squarely in the middle of conference play um, to make a little bit of a run here. They're twenty-one and eleven overall. They're above five hundred uh, in the conference and won a couple of games in a row and one of the better Tulane baseball seasons we've seen uh, recently.
4: Absolutely, and in that 2-1 to series win against Wichita State, there was a doubleheader where, where they combined for 20 runs. So the bats are still flying for the wave. One guy we really got to point out, and we've been pointing him out, Seth, for the past couple weeks is Cody Hose. We've been giving him recognition, but th- today he was named National Hitter of the Week, so we gained national recognition. Ah. Not to say that we said anything about it first, but this past week he had a bat- batting average of 5 579 which included 11 hits nine rbis and four homers include and on top of that he leads all of the american conference in those categories so cody Hose been great all season we should continue to see great things from him and from the rest of the two lane lineup
1: yeah indeed they get a use uh, usf this weekend uh we're taking on southeastern tonight we're trying to get you a score for that not too lane here Jacob but I will ask you you're originally from Cali and of course we were talking about this when he got into studio Magic Johnson and the craziness that's going on there that it, I was just telling Tim I don't know if Magic Johnson is drunk or high or and look it is legal over there so uh, good <laughs> on you Magic but I don't know what's going on apparently this press conference has gone off the rails and he's saying all sorts of weird stuff that we'll get to Uh, once you're gone what do you make of this magic johnson situation
4: oh yeah i was watching it before i came over and it kind of it kind of was sad at first he was tearing up saying like uh you know i couldn't look genie bus in the face and tell her this but then it kind of just transitioned into an open mic and he was just kind of cracking some yucks about like i don't know if the lakers are that good maybe they are maybe we're headed in the right (laughs) direction and meanwhile twitter just is exploding eating it all up as usual being like what is like why is magic and he was asking
1: for a job at ESPN in the middle of this press conference? <laughs> yeah.
4: What? Yeah, no, he's he's really laying it out all on the table right now. And honestly, as much I'm sure he's going to get a lot of uh, hate on it, but I will be the person to say, good for you, Magic. You know what? You're at the podium. Let everyone know what you want, all right? There's no need to hold it back. You're in too deep. Just keep letting it fly.
1: It's true. I will say this will be one of the most memorable exit press conferences that I've ever seen. Usually these are very dry, and a lot of times, the guy who's leaving doesn't even give a press conference, especially when he leaves on bad terms like this. It's just it's weird.
4: How about weird. an emergency press conference right here, right now? Okay. Come with the cameras. Bring your reporters. <laughs> I got something to say.
1: Okay, I was gonna say. Wait, am I leaving? Are you leaving? What's going on? I don't. I don't know. What's this? <laughs> is this the is this the exit? Or is Tim Zimmer leaving behind the glass? Tim, you want to throw a press conference on your way out here? If Tim ever left like this unexpectedly, you probably would throw a press conference for him. Good stuff, behind the glass.
2: I mean, I don't know what to say here.
1: Oh, you're just – well, you, I have never seen Tim speechless in the two and a half years I've done the show with him, so we did that. Tulane leading Southeastern 15-9 to nine in the top of the ninth inning tonight. Tulane up to bat, so looks like they're on their way to, um, to another midweek win here.
4: Well, Jacob. Yeah, no. I mean, another win, nothing new. I mean, right now, like as we mentioned, they're second in the American Conference, but what's really going to hurt them down the stretch is this easy, easy schedule that they, that they had in the beginning. Good for them for taking advantage of it, was able to stock up a lot of wins, but as a result, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get them into the College World Series unless they be, they come in first place in their conference.
1: Yeah, and they'd have to go on the road, and uh, regional and super regional, to get that done. I, I'm curious. The two-lane – fickle's the wrong word because I get it. I went to a university that didn't have a lot of athletic success in any sport almost at Washington State University. So I get how fans can be a little pessimistic, and maybe fickle is not the right word. Uh, are are two-lane fans fickle about the non-football sports?
4: It's just cool to not be optimistic, but – for the real die hard wave fans like myself no it is not you want to support everyone right. we are all in this together Wave family, it's not that's not a thing at all on campus. But I'm wave, family? wave family, Wave <laughs> family, I like that. Yeah, okay. no, yeah, man, and I'm the head of it. So we gotta give our love not just to football, not just to baseball, but uh, I think women's golf had a tournament this week that they did decently well in. Shout outs to, to women's golf. Uh, the other obscure sports at Tulane, which there are multiple of, which honestly, even though I am in the Wave family, I'm not that well versed on uh, these minor sports. I always but,
1: wonder. If- is and i always regret this looking back at my time on campus at wsu that i didn't check out all of the the non-revenue sports the smaller sports more the the swimmings the the volleyball the the soccer even stuff like the rugby or things like that do you ever think man you know i'm gonna it's gonna be 10 20 years down the road i'm gonna have a career i'll be wherever and i kind of missed out
4: well yes for the majority of sports but no to women's volleyball because, really two words Seth free shirts you will get any kid at a college game if you're g- giving out a free <laughs> shirt all right me and my friends will go get a shirt root for you know cheer on the wave for a little bit head home it's a great time
1: well apparently you've got Tim Zim uh, involved now he's gonna go to Tulane because Tim wants on the mic now that you said free shirts Tim
2: well when I was at LSU we had a lot of sports like that like tennis you know swimming things like that and we just happened to have a free keg sitting around outside of this, outside of one of the arenas. And there was no policy of bringing drinks inside. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that got me to go to a couple uh, of events on campus at LSU.
1: Hey, you know what? You, you lube me up enough and I'll go to any sporting event you want. Well, there you go. In fact, I might even jump in a pool. So, uh, Jacob, uh, Was, Tulane Tuesdays in the books. And I guess we'll see you in that pool sometime.
4: All right, certainly.
1: <laughs> uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Is it Jacob underscore Was? Yes, it is. On Twitter, follow him there, and he'll be back next week at 9.30 for another Tulane so We'll take a break. Open up the phone lines now for you at 504-260-1870. Text line is 870-870. We'll talk in Saints and NFL Draft and also College Basketball Championship game coming up in the final hour of the program. Thanks again to Jacob Watts for swinging on in. Magic Johnson calling it quits for the Lakers, resigning as president of basketball operations. Our friend Joe Curley, who covers uh, the Lakers and the Rams for the Ventura County Star. And here's what he said on Twitter. At VCS Joe Curley, from my money, Magic Johnson was the very best NBA basketball player of the last 50 years. But question I'm having a hard time answering is, was he a worse head coach, team president, or late night talk show host? How would you rank those? And to bring that up because I did not know that Magic Johnson was a head coach. Ever, Tim? When was he coaching? We had to look this up during the break.
2: Well, I think he retired. I don't. I don't know if he retired in '91 as a Laker, but he left the Lakers in '91 and then became a coach in 1993, '94 season, and, and he coached 16 games in which he was five and 11 during that span, and then he resigned
1: now, immediately. Now, what's the late night talk show host? Is this some weird L.A. area talk show? Because I. Was he a host on Best Damn Sports Show when it was going back then? Like, where was he a late-night talk show host?
2: I mean, he did host the, the post-game ESPN NBA games. Like, you know, when they go back to the studio, he did do that for a little bit, so maybe that's what he's talking about.
1: Maybe. I guess so. We'll see what happens with the Lakers, who are now just in complete disarray. Players don't want to play with LeBron. Rob is on his way out, uh, Probably. Luke Walton certainly will be fired, and will the coaches. And everybody here in New Orleans happy about it. The God Tim says, Godfather offer in my ear. Yeah, the Godfather offer. Apparently, uh, the Godfather went the way of well, Marlon Brando's Godfather character, and he's gone and done. It's interesting. I guess that'll get the focus off the Pelicans here in the NBA for a little bit. Non-sports this weekend, going to be one of the the busiest and biggest weeks here in New Orleans. Biggest festivals in the world, going to happen right here in our backyard. It's all free. You can join us here at WWL as we celebrate the 36th annual French Quarter Fest presented by Chevron. It's the world's largest showcase of Louisiana food, music, and culture. And like I said, it is absolutely free Thursday through Sunday. You can enjoy classic New Orleans cuisine from over 60 restaurants. 300 musical acts are going to be performing on 23 stages that just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. you can come on out and meet some of your favorite WWL personalities as we're going to broadcast live from the world's largest jazz brunch in Jackson square every day of the festival brought to you by Toro emergency department. When you party too hard at the fest, Toro takes care of it Thursday. It's scoot from one to 4 PM Friday, it is Queen Angela, Angela Hill from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, Don Dubuque from noon to 3. And then Sunday, it's just sports with Christian Garrick and Steve Geller out there. Their co-host that from 10 a.m. to 1130. That's the French Quarter Fest, four days a big-time New Orleans fun, Thursday through Sunday. Wear your comfy shoes and party with us here at WWL. Tim Zimmer, you were pumping your fist at French Quarter Fest behind the scenes. I did not know you were a huge French Quarter Fest fanatic.
2: Yeah, it's my favorite festival. I, I like this festival bigger than Jazz Fest, bigger than basically every festival. Because it's free, right? It's free. You can go throughout the entire city. Here's a pro tip. If you want the food on the riverfront right there on the on the river, make sure you go really early or you go on Friday because if you go on Saturday or Sunday during the day, you'll be waiting for a long time in, lo- in long lines and you're going to basically regret standing in line because it's, that's where everyone goes on the riverfront. So. Yeah,
1: there's two or three different main food areas, if I'm remembering right, and there's one that I never go to. I think it's the one that you're talking about that's squeezed up right between two stages there, and I don't go to that one. I either go to the one that's by the old Insectarium and the IMAX, or I go by the one that's closer to Jackson Square, and it doesn't seem to be nearly as crowded.
2: Jackson Square's got a pretty good um, pretty good setup. It is kind of small because it's in that one little circle. If you go by the old Mint, which is uh, a little further down mm-hmm. – and um, by the Marini. Um, That actually has a pretty cool spot. They have some pretty good f- food there, but I think most of the main food and most of the main people will stay will be, will be on the riverfront. So what I like to do, I like to go on Friday during the day and I like to check out all the food then and then, you know, maybe you know drink a few things on Saturday so I don't have to worry about getting the food then.
1: And the weather's supposed to be okay. It seems like it's always just dreadful. Now, you're going to see some scattered showers like we always do this time of year, but I remember, was it last year it just dumped and poured every day or was that a couple of years ago?
2: The last time I remember I remembered it rained during the middle of the day but I for most most of the um, French Quarter Fest it's just really hot and you have to wear sunscreen because you will get sunburned if you if you're just standing out there and you don't remember putting on sunscreen just that's another pro tip bring sunscreen um and I know they have a lot of Vita beer, so what I like to do, I know this is probably I sh- this is probably something I do as a tip. I bring my own Abita can beer because I ah. can't tell whether you purchased it there or if you purchased it in a grocery store.
1: <laughs> I like that. Uh, here's the text from the 504. Am I crazy for saying Tulane has the best college team in the state right now? To me, it seems they're outperforming LSU as the state's team so far this season. I know LSU is the state's team, but Tulane deserves more respect. Are you crazy for saying that? Yes, you're crazy for saying that. Tulane, I just talked about it, having a great season, one of the better seasons for Tulane baseball recently, but they're not in the same class as LSU, or just not, although I really wish that that series would have continued. Just sad state of affairs that they're on hiatus, Tulane and LSU baseball. We'll take a break for news Coming back next hour, Mike Dettelier swings on in. We'll talk Saints and NFL draft, and we'll have Mike Rutherford, who covers college basketball for SB Nation and CardChronicle.com. We'll talk Virginia-Texas Tech title game and what's in store for college basketball next year and into the future. I'm Seth Dunlap, two hours down, one to go here on The Last Lap.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.